Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring hosts Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here is Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 44, being recorded on Thursday, September 8th. 2016. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and this episode is being sponsored by the National Retail Federation. Scott and I are going to be live podcasting at the Shop.org Digital Summit this year, which is in Dallas, Texas, September 26th through the 28th. In fact, we have a custom discount code for our listeners. So if you're interested in attending the show and seeing the, uh, the show live... You can go to their website and type into the promo field, Jason Ampersand Scott. That's Scott with one T, J-A-S-O-N, Ampersand, S-C-O-T, and you'll get a 10% discount on the full conference fair. Uh, so you can visit our show notes or go straight to retaildigitalsummit.nrf.com uh, to register, and we'll hope to see you there. Now, as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason. Are you in uh, Chicago this week? I am. I am uh, all fired up for Apple Day. I needed to make sure that I was on a landline so that I can uh, place my my order for a new iPhone tonight at 2 a.m. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty geeky if you lock yourself down for the week of a new phone announcement so you can A, watch the announcement, and then B, make sure that you're going to be able to get the phone. So that's exciting. Um I thought we haven't talked about Star Wars in a while, and I don't know if you've been following or not, but there's some Star Wars news. I, I have, but certainly not to the extent that you do. Yeah, so the first thing to check is there's been there's kind of a teaser trailer for Rogue One. Rogue One comes out in December of this year. It's not one of the main episodes, so it's kind of a filler, kind of alternating years. We're going to get little one-offs. So it's a little one-shot movie um, that happens between episodes three and four. Uh, about how do they get the plans to the Death Star, uh, called Rogue One. And the trailer is out. Have you seen it? I have indeed, yeah. Okay. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't, but it has an awesome cameo at the end that's very exciting. And um, the other thing that's kind of timely is September 30th is what they do is they launch the toys before these things come out. And uh, last year before Episode 7, they had Force Friday, and this year they're calling it there's a little controversy. Sometimes folks are calling it Star Wars Friday and other times Rogue Friday. So September 30th, uh, stay up till midnight and you can go to your toy stores and you can find all the new toys. So get ready for that. Wow. And to be clear, you're saying I'm geeky for wanting to order an iPhone, but you don't think it's geeky that there's a controversy between Star Wars Friday and Rogue Friday? No, I think it's uh, it's normal. I think you should do both things. I think you should stay up and do your iPhone and you should go out on Force Friday at midnight. That's no. That's that's true, true geekiness. Nice. And do I have it right? Like one of the reasons people would be interested in the release of all these toys is they sometimes give away additional hints about characters and plots in the movie. Yeah. And then they, uh, you know, the, the main toy company for the, the action figures, don't call them dolls, please, is Hasbro. And, um, you know, what they they put out a lot of kind of you know, hard to find toys out on these days too. So there's a lot of launch kind of stuff and um, you do get a little bit of kind of a taste of the movie, which is interesting. Um, So they've actually announced the toys that are coming out and some of them just kind of think about that are kind of cool. 
There's a new robot. He is K2SO, so keep an eye out for him. He's pretty neat. Uh, and then for our geeky listeners out there, he is the pilot from Firefly is the voice of him. I can't remember the actor's name. Uh, and then uh, the coolest toy, uh, every year they pick a toy and they, they have kind of an expensive one. One year they had an articulated Yoda that was like $200. This year, the most expensive toy is $300, which is shocking. And it's one of those at-ats, but in this movie, they're called AT-ACTs. Uh, and you control it with your smartphone. So kind of like the BB-8 that they had for Force Awakens, this is the smartphone toy. It's not from that company, Sphero. It's from another company. But it's $300, and it actually walks, and the head moves, and things pop open on it and stuff, and you control it from your smartphone. That's That sounds like a Jason must-have. Oh, absolutely. If only, like, the main reason I would want to have it is if there's a way to get it before you, which seems unlikely. Yeah, that's going to be, you know, that's, I think that's going to, I'm going to call that's going to be the hard to find toy because most toy stores are going to maybe have one kind of there. And, um, you know, if someone wants it, it's going to be pretty hard to get that guy. Nice. I feel like a $300 Star Wars toy is going to be perfect for uh, Walmart's new layaway program. Yeah, I, I saw that too. Did you, um, I didn't read much more other than that they're kind of they're making the layaway available early. Uh, I, I imagine September 30th, uh, whereas usually it's more kind of around Thanksgiving. That, is that kind of the gist of it? Exactly. Layaway is a big deal for a lot of retailers for holiday. Like about 15% of all of Walmart's holiday sales will be layaway. Um, and the, they're expecting the, the Star Wars tro- toys to drive so much demand that they're launching layaway on uh, Star Wars Friday. Cool. Is this the layaway where you put it away and you pay for it and then you get it, or can you get it and then pay for it later? No, this is uh, it's allocated to you, and uh, you make payments until it's paid off, and then you get the item. Okay. Um, and so that that's a sort of forced forced budgeting uh, process for a lot of folks, uh, and it, again, it is fairly popularly used for holiday gifts. Um, and then there's kind of a fun thing in the industry that has emerged. Um, there's this thing called layaway angels. And so, you know, a lot of families that are on a tight budget will do a layaway program to, to pay for all their holiday gifts. And they, they plan that to finish paying, you know, right, right at Christmas so they can get all their gifts and, uh, some, some, uh, nice philanthropic people go into the stores and just, put down, you know, a, 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 a random amount of money to pay for other people's layaway gifts. Hmm, interesting. That's uh, it's pretty fascinating. I never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's become a fairly big thing. It's pretty meaningful. I know it's hundreds of thousands of dollars in Walmart's case. I think there's been a, you know, like a single gift of over $100,000. So uh, I'm not sure it's the world's most efficient form of philanthropy, but uh, it, it's cool that there are nice people out there that are, that are uh, you know, anonymously doing something nice for others. Um, I do want to awkwardly transition though, to go back to the star Wars toys. I feel like there's a toy that just came out, uh, that I think is super cool. And I'm curious if you already have one, the force band. Uh, I've seen it. I do not have it. Ah, um, so (laughs) uh, from Sphero for controlling the BB eight, right? Exactly. So there's that BB-8 robot, which on its own is very cool. Um, And they now have like a Bluetooth wristband. And so you can do gestures with your hand and the BB-8 responds to the gesture. So you can like, uh, you know, sort of act like you have the force and you can push your hand and it makes the BB-8 fly away or pull the BB-8 towards you or or do some cool things like that. 
And apparently it has a mode where it gives you haptic feedback like you're in a lightsaber fight. So it mm. so you know, you like you're you're doing a mock lightsaber fight and you can feel the the like vibrations and stuff as your lightsaber would hit hit your opponent's lightsaber. Cool. There is um I know Lucasfilm did put out uh I think it's on the Oculus Rift, a VR experience that I'm uh, I'm working up to try to you know, get all my software updated and be able to try that. I've, I've read online that it's pretty amazing. Have you tried that? I haven't. I will have to download it. It's it's interesting on Oculus. If the contents in the in the Oculus store, it's super easy to get. If it's not in the store, you definitely have to jump through some hoops to to like load it into something so that you can experience it. Yeah, yeah. This was from a lab, you know, some kind of Lucasfilm lab kind of a oh. thing. So I'm not exactly sure if it would be in the store or not. Got it. I will try to track it down. I will say a slightly geeky thing, but somewhat annoying at the moment, you know, you and I both have the fancy Oculus systems and there it's been hard to sideload content that isn't available through the store. Like it's, it's totally possible, but you you just have to jump through a bunch of steps. Um, but I also have the much lower in Samsung gear, which uses Oculus technology and it's like very easy to uh, load any VR content into. So it, it's somewhat annoying to me that the the low end solution using Oculus software is much easier to to load content into than the high end solution. Yeah, I, I blame it on Windows because I think because it's tethered to a PC. That's kind of what seems to be the the gating. That's what slowed me down so much. The things are constantly updating and you know changing stuff all the time. It's driving me crazy. Yep, I am sure you are right. <laughs> Makes me appreciate my, my Mac that I use every day. Yes. That could be the next sponsor for the show. We we need to reach out to um to Apple and see if they're maybe interested because I know they're always yeah. looking for the big the big media exposure. Yes, yeah, we we can provide that here on the Jason and Scott show. Exactly. They they created a decent media event of their own yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's jump in. before we jump into it. I did have one. I was a little surprised that you're actually in Chicago. I was expecting you to be in New York for Fashion Week. Do you not? Are you skipping Fashion Week this week? This uh, so, as a condition of my probation, I actually am not allowed to be in New York this week. Yeah, and I have the restraining order. So, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, no, I uh, I do not regular. I certainly have been to Fashion Week. I do not regularly attend it. And if you're not in the the fashion industry, it is a great week to avoid being in New York because it's quite congested and crazy. Mm-hmm. Do you, can you wear cargo shorts and Burt's Surf Shop t-shirts to the Fashion Week events? Did you, <laughs> you and did I you can. You and I okay. can. Uh, but it's, it's somewhat annoying. Like If those uh, fashionistas had their way, we wouldn't even be allowed to be wearing cargo shorts at, in the comfort of our own home. So I'm, I'm not a fan of, their, of some of their tastemakers. We'll have to do our own kind of Jason and Scott fashion show sometime. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Well, let's jump into the iPhone announcement. Um, it was it was interesting. It was like a solid two hour kind of thing. Um, you know, some of the things that were interesting were that were not e commerce related. It's it's kind of yeah, I felt like it was interesting to see Nintendo kind of tap out and say, "All right, we we give up. We're going to bring some of our content to the iPhone." So they had. Uh, you know, the big announcement that Mario is coming and, um, I assume that means Luigi, Princess Peach and the whole gang. Uh, and then they had the guy that's like the, one of the founders there, uh, uh, and the head of gaming. That was pretty, 
he, he doesn't really get out very much. They don't really show him off. And I thought that was pretty impressive to have him on stage. Uh, what else were you excited about? Yeah. So, um, that was interesting. I, like, I wasn't super excited about this, but in the same vein, you know, Nike used to be in the fitness hardware business themselves and they, they sort of discontinued the, their, their Nike plus hardware and they sort of jumped into the, the Apple ecosystem as well. So they announced the, the Nike plus version of the Apple watch at, uh, at the show as well. Um, so I, I thought that's an interesting trend of these sort of former competitors now, like in, embracing the the platforms that are winning. Um, the there was also an interesting demo of extending the Pokemon Go app to the watch. So I know you, as the avid Pokemon player, um, may have been excited about that, but I like looking at from a retail standpoint. I'm like, gosh. To the extent that these geolocation um, games continue to gain popularity and traction, the, the it's much more compelling um, to have those alerts happening on a watch than it is on a smartphone because lots of people might be walking by a retailer that sponsored a rare Pokemon and they may not have their phone out, and so you know that the that sponsorship is driving less traction. But you know, if an alert pops up on your on your phone to let you know there's a rare Pokemon in a a Gap store that has sponsored it or something like that, then uh, that that potentially has a, a a bigger impact on driving traffic to those retail venues. Yeah, I thought that was a really awesome feature. It, it actually provides a lot of functionality you don't have in the game. So in the game, it doesn't really tell you how far you've watched. You've walked. You kind of have to. You have these eggs, and that you it tells you there's two, five, and ten kilometer eggs, and it tells you how you're doing against that, but. Um, sometimes you worry that it's not calculating it. So I find myself checking those egg kind of calculations pretty frequently. So the, the interface where it's like showing you how far you've walked kind of to a couple decimal points and all that was really good. Cause I think it'll, and, and, you know, when you go to these places that, that are full of poke, people playing Pokemon, uh, you're always running into each other because everyone, you have to like really kind of be constantly watching your phone. So, so I do think it will, there'll be a safety factor there too, which will be good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did, I, I guess one slightly skeptical thing about that particular app, I'm imagining the core uh, demographic that plays Pokemon Go um, as being slightly younger, and I'm imagining the core demographic of people that own Apple Watches as being slightly older. Um, I suspect the entire uh, overlap of those two demographics may be uh, on this podcast tonight. Yeah, it's, I think that's marketing genius. So, so now think of all those kids that are going to want a, uh, a, you know, a new i Apple Watch for Christmas. Absolutely. Um, the, the downside was I was all, you know, it was an awesome demo and it looks production ready, and then they're like, it'll be out by the end of the year, which we all mean, we all know means like twelve thirty one. So, I was a little disappointed that it's going to take like three months to get the thing. Yeah, you could be optimistic on the uh, end of the year equals twelve thirty one too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Pokemon people have had a rough time kind of getting things out on time. That little band, there's a little band they're coming out with, and it's like six months late. So, yep. So, I'm, I'm, uh, I have my fingers crossed for end of the year. I'm going to hold them to it here on the Jason and Scott show. Yeah. Uh, I guess one other thing that jumped out at me from the announcement didn't really happen at the announcement. It happened right before the announcement. Um, you know, there are always leaks about, uh, these Apple products before the show. And obviously like there are, you know, millions of reporters who it's their full-time job to try to uh, suss this information out. So the fact that there are leaks probably isn't surprising. Um, but the last couple of releases, 
it's usually been like a case manufacturer that accidentally like published their website early or something like that. And it had cases. And once again, that happened this year, but this year it happened to a, a pretty well known company on the Jason and Scott show. Uh, it was Amazon that jumped the gun and launched an iPhone seven landing page about an hour before the announcement. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what happened there. Um, it was all accessories, so they don't really carry the iPhone at Amazon. So it was like a, it was either Case Made or Case Logic, one of those kind of highlighted. Um, but they, I don't even think they pulled it down because I was able to see it. You know, I, thirty minutes into the keynote before they had done the iPhone, they were still kind of on the watch part. So there was definitely some kind of an embargo miscommunication there, which, which happens with the whole. PST, EST thing and, and all that. But, um, you know, I, I can assure you the people at Apple were, were not amused. They take their secrecy very, very, very seriously. Absolutely. And it, it's the kind of uh, mistake that you could imagine is easy to make, but that you would uh, expect Amazon, like in particular, would probably be good at. Yeah. 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 I have a feeling they're pretty good at it. The, um, so, uh, I think everyone's probably heard a lot of the macro stuff, you know, faster, better graphics, a lot of camera improvements. What about e-commerce? Let's think about, uh, let's help people kind of parse through all that and think about what's this going to mean for e-commerce? What what were some of the takeaways for you? Yeah. Um, well, so there's the, there's sort of obvious direct takeaways for e-commerce and then there's going to be some, some, uh, maybe, uh, anecdotal effects. Um, so, the, the most obvious new e-commerce feature in the phone is that there's a new flavor of NFC chip in the phone um, that supports a format of NFC called Felicia. And uh, Felicia isn't very popular or important in the U.S. yet, but it's actually the industry standard for touchless payment in Japan. So uh, the iPhone 7 will be the, the first Apple product that can actually support touchless payment in Japan, which is a, a fairly big deal. And is that, um, I had never heard of it until that announcement. The, um, is it a protocol that sits on NFC or is it like another kind of chipset for exchanging information with its own protocol as well? Yep. So it doesn't necessarily require a different chipset. It's a, uh, it's a protocol that sits on the same, um, uh, sort of physical infrastructure. So it uses the same, okay antennas and transmitters as other flavors of NFC, but it's a, a specific protocol that that's implemented in it. Um, so okay. theoretically uh, it, 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 there are some NFC products that were upgradable to support Felicia, but apparently the, the original Apple hardware was not. Um, and, you know, Apple pay was not universally launched in all countries and so, you know, the fact that it wasn't in Japan wasn't completely shocking because, like, you know, for example, it just got released in China this year. Um, but uh, Japan was a very early adopter of, of touchless payment, and it's much more ubiquitous there than it is here. So, you know, it was kind of odd that Apple was getting into the, the touchless payment space and sort of didn't have a presence in one of the the most uh, evolved markets out there. So now uh, Apple will be there for the first time. Yeah. And then, um, you know how they always throw out these stats and the Tim, Tim Cook's like the stat guy. Um, so one stat that was interesting, just kind of a macro one was that they sold a billion iPhones that that's pretty impressive. Um, the other one was, and let me, you can keep me honest here. I think when he was talking about Apple pay, he said, 
they have 90% share of touchless payments. And he referenced some source. I, I think it was some mobile payments journal or something like that. Um, at first, I was like, wow, that's impressive. And then I was kind of like, well, you know, Samsung Pay and Android Pay really haven't even gotten their legs under them yet. And so there's, you know, it could it's probably 90% of a small number. Um, but then I was thinking, well, I wonder if that counts Starbucks. So, so what do you, yeah. what did you make of that stat? So that, that is a funny one. You know, there are all these like huge glo- uh, glamorous stats that Apple can legitimately hang their hat on. And so, you know, they, they, they hit a bunch of those at all these announcements, you know, how many apps they have in the app store and how much revenue and, uh, the fact they, they've shipped a billion phones and all these, you know, and that they've, they've moved to number two in market share and watches and all these great things. Um, but often, almost always when they get into this payment space, um, Apple and everyone else starts devolving to these kind of weaselly stats. Um, so instead of absolute numbers, they start talking about relative numbers and all these things because they're, uh, for a variety of reasons, nobody wants to just come out and say, Hey, we've, we've, uh, conducted X amount of dollars of transactions or anything like that. Um, so the, as best I can tell, the, the, the market share stat that Tim Cook was referencing is smartphone NFC payments. So not only does that exclude Starbucks, which uh, almost certainly has much higher volume of, of transaction than, than Apple does. Um, it also excludes all of the plastic that has NFC chips on it, right? So, you know, Visa has issued a lot of credit cards that have NFC antennas in them and you can do touchless payment just from the, the credit card and it would, and you know, this stat excludes all of that. So, ah, okay. so cool. it's definitely one of these, Hey, we're excited to announce that we're the tallest dwarf. Yeah. So by saying touchless payments, that's kind of what qualifies out the, you know, Starbucks isn't, or uh, I guess touch. It's not even touchless. It's, it's specifically NFC. So Starbucks is not okay. NFC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Cool. I knew you would know the answer to that. Yep. Um, so listeners will check me if I'm wrong, but that was uh, uh, what it appeared to me. Um, and then uh, there, you know, there are some other e-commerce features in iOS 10, which you know is like wasn't featured prominently at the announcement, but is is certainly coming out coincidentally with the the iPhone 7. Um, and we we can talk about those in a moment. One thing that I, I I don't want to hang it specifically on the iPhone 7, but one thing I am very excited about in the mobile space overall is the ever-improving quality of the imaging in the in the devices. And there's a lot of really interesting use cases for commerce um, with those imaging sensors, with those cameras. And so, you know, certainly uh, we, we could talk about it, but uh, visual um, search is becoming better and better every year. And Stanford has this contest where they bring in the, all the science teams to, you know, see how many objects they can identify from pictures. And, and, uh, we're, we're really getting to the point where you're going to be able to buy anything you want by just, you know, aiming your camera at it. And so the fact that the cameras are getting better and have longer, um, focal length lenses, um, and faster and all these things, you know, certainly make that kind of, those kind of visual commerce experiences and augmented reality experiences interesting. And certainly like I would argue that the, the most prominent new features in the iPhone seven are all around the, the improved camera systems. But in particular, there's another category of interesting commerce experiences that can happen when the camera can accurately measure stuff. 
Um, and so you can imagine ordering uh, made to order uh, shirts or custom suits um, or paint for your house or all these different things. If your smartphone could only accurately get the dimensions of your room or accurately scan your body um, and a single camera is not pretty is not very good at most of those use cases like there are apps that try to do it but they're they're kind of rough um, but once you put two cameras in a device once you have stereo lenses so you can take uh, a picture of the same scene from a known distance apart you, you can then do a bunch of advanced math and you can get really accurate measurements. And so Intel has developed a camera system like that and they're building it into some products. And at the moment, there's some cool e-commerce experiences that, you know, you can order custom clothes if you've scanned yourself with one of these Intel uh, uh, RealSense cameras. And the, the only bummer is, you know, there's a very uh, limited amount of hardware out there that, that have these cameras. And so... Uh, Apple, for the first time, has announced two cameras in, uh, in one of their products, which is the iPhone 7 Plus. And they certainly didn't talk about using it for any measurement. And the fact that the two cameras have different focal length lenses might make that even more difficult. So, you know, I'm I'm uh, pretty far over the edge of my skis in speculation. But um, it wouldn't shock me if some developers are able to use those two camera systems to start doing some 3D scanning and measurement, which could be very cool. And even if this first phone doesn't do it great, the fact that that's becoming the new Apple standard and they're building multiple cameras into the products, um, you know, definitely opens the door to future Apple products being even better at those kinds of things. And so uh, to me, I think that's a, a, an exciting uh, sort of future use case for some of these mobile devices. Yeah, actually, when they talked about that feature that uses both lenses that blurs out the background, yep, um, and give you that kind of DSLR look, that kind of field of that range of view, yep, um, he talked about yeah, he talked about the the software ha- uh, looks at it tries it's going to be called um, portrait mode, uh, so that's the name of the feature, portrait mode, and it doesn't come out with the phone; it's going to come out later, which is interesting because it that implies it's all in software, which is kind of to your point, feels like they're giving, they at least have access to all the data in the camera. But anyway, when he's talking about it, one of the things it does is it uses one of the lenses to figure out who are the people or the the objects that kind of to not blur. Um, and it, it uses machine learning to build up a 3D map. So, you know, some of the stuff he was talking about in there was, was pretty close to what you're talking about. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's, I think you can use software to figure out the different um, zoom levels of the lens, the telephoto versus the wide. I think you can kind of get the data you need, certainly if it's kind of in the middle and, and not too far away. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they provide access to that and if anyone kind of picks up on it and tries to add these kind of features. Yep. And uh, another announcement, um, a lot more of the raw camera data is available via the APIs and is available to developers. So like, you know, folks like Adobe have already announced like, hey, previous to this version of iOS and this camera, um, our Adobe Lightroom on Android was much better than it was on Apple because on Android, we could get the raw pixels straight from the hardware and we could process them. And on Apple, we could only get the heavily processed uh, pixels that came out of their whole digital imaging system. And uh, now Apple's making these raw pixels available. So uh, lots of little clues that that uh, potentially 
Um, there could be some cool new commerce applications that leverage imaging and measurement. Yeah, and the iOS 10 stuff we'd already heard about and we've talked about on the podcast, just to kind of quickly summarize it for folks, um, Apple Pay is coming to mobile websites that use Safari. Um, there are rumors that another uh, there'll be another announcement in kind of October where they'll update the MacBook line. So the, the MacBook Pro, the Air, um, and even maybe the just plain MacBook, they'll add Touch ID to those. Um, there's going to be a new bar of LED functionality some stuff like that, but, but the, the touch ID, I think will be interesting because the demo they've shown so far with iOS 10 is you're on your computer on Safari and you want to pay for something and it pings over to your phone for the touch ID verification. So once they get that on the laptops, you won't have to have your phone kind of, you know, synchronized there to do that. Um, there's something called one tap checkout. Uh, you may know more about that than I do. Um, I think that's just kind of a streamlining of the Apple Pay kind of checkout flow where you can set, instead of having to pick the payment option, you kind of set a default. Um, one thing Tim Cook highlighted again is they, they are opening Siri, which I feel is like a direct reaction to you know, the Amazon Echo Alexa. Um, the, they always give this one example, though, where they're like, you know, hey, Siri, I need a car. And it, it, uh, it is kind of interesting because they always show Lyft now, and they used to show Uber back in the day. So there's there's increasing friction between Apple and Uber, which is always kind of funny to see in these demos when they when they kind of showed Lyft kind of as the it almost feels forced in, in a way to the, they kind of sneak it in there. Um, another one I thought was interesting, and this isn't really related to it, and it was it was awesome timing on Comscore's side, but they released a new data set um, around mobile uh, and talked about. By their measurements, I think it was was it forty six percent. You may know the this the the metric, but it was you know they they showed data that showed on mobile devices forty six percent of the internet access is through apps. So it was kind of the you know apps are are kind of killing the open web and becoming the new way that that you know. So as traffic goes to mobile phones and mobile devices, people are using apps instead of more of the open browser kind of functionality, and uh, it's reached this critical point of about half was kind of my takeaway. Yep, absolutely true. But the that that seventy eight percent of all those those apps were uh, the the top five apps in the ecosystem. So yeah. it's it's YouTube. Yep. Yes, yeah, social media. Yep. Um, and uh, another um, announcement at the same time that wasn't actually announced earlier with the other iOS ten features and wasn't announced. Uh, during the live conference, but Apple has also announced a API um, and a, a um, uh, an app store for iMessage. So, you know, as a reminder, iMessage is Apple's uh, chat system. It sort of replaces SMS messaging on on Apple devices, often whether you want it to or not. Um, and uh, they're now creating an app store to allow brands to, you know, offer chatbots and uh, branded, uh, you know, uh, chat chat IDs in their messaging ecosystem. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, WeChat and their app ecosystem and uh, Facebook Messenger and their app ecosystem. You know, this is yet another major player in messaging embracing chatbots and preparing for a world in which um, a lot of the the use cases that, you know, we used to solve with apps may in fact be solved by these chatbots. It's going to be a little confusing because you're going to probably have 
I would imagine four platforms. So I think we'll have Facebook, which would include Insta and WhatsApp, kind of probably will all be one platform in there. Um, you'll have uh, Apple with iMessage. You know, uh, whenever Apple does something like this, then the Android folks aren't Google slash Android aren't far behind. So that that's three. And then I think you'll have, you know, when you think about the other social media folks, you'll have, um, you know, uh, Snapchat, I think will probably be one. Google can do it across a lot of their properties. Um, so it'll be interesting to think through, you know, so if I'm a manufacturer and I believe in this chatbot or, or brand, do I have four different flavors of this? Are there companies that get started to provide, you know, kind of a multi-platform approach and, um, or, you know, or are there different, are they different enough that that's not going to work because the way I interact on Snapchat is very different than I do on Facebook, which is different than the mobile carriers. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't think there's a clear answer yet, but one thing I would remind everyone, like one of the things about chatbots is that they're they're generally server side. So all the heavy lifting happens on a hosted server that the the service provider owns. Um and so it does make it easier to support multi-platform. So in essence, like what you're really uh having to customize for each platform is the interface to that platform, not the the underlying um computing logic. And so you know, the, the hope would be that you can, you know, take 80% of your chatbot work and leverage it across multiple platforms. But, uh, uh, you're certainly right. Like there are unique, uh, nuances to each platform that make it different. And, um, most of the chat platforms actually host the chatbots because they, they, uh, they require very high availability and high scale. And most, you know, small entrepreneurs aren't in a position to, to launch a, you know, elastic uh, SaaS infrastructure that could, you know, instantly support a hundred million uh, uh, queries from different users. And so, you know, most of these chatbots actually live on the the messaging platforms infrastructure. So, you know, Twitters or Facebooks or those things. And so that might make it harder for, uh, for a, a single uh, instance to support multiple chat services. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just kind of the, if you think through, I know it's more server side, but then you start thinking about it, you're going to want to kind of tie that user to your CRM system. And a Snapchat user is going to give you way different information than a Facebook, than an iMessage. And it's just going to be a lot, lot trickier to do than it, I think it kind of seems on the surface. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Absolutely. We're still very early days. Cool. Any other uh, exciting things from the iPhone? Uh, those were the main things that jumped out at me. Uh, I uh, take it as a foregone conclusion, but uh, I assume you're going to be ordering a phone tonight? I am. I am going to be up bright and early at 3 a.m. Eastern to order my iPhone. Yep. I have a whole system of you know monitoring it on uh, I have five different ways that I try to get in there and get the order through before before everything jams up. Yep. <laughs> So I have a tip, and unfortunately, it's only going to benefit you because this podcast probably won't go out in time for it to benefit anyone else. Um, but specifically with Apple, what you want to do is avoid using the web interface. Um, so yeah. at, you want to use the Apple native app on an iOS device, um, and it, it has much better availability, and uh, your order will get processed much faster than if you, you try to go through the web interface. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that is the case. Other times, going through the carrier seems to work better. It's kind of hard to hard to call. 
it's not my preference, but sometimes you have to do it. Got it. And then there's the whole thing. Do you do ship to you or the store? What, what do you do on that? Uh, uh, well, so this is dorky, but I probably will do pickup in store. I actually think the, um, ship to you option is way more convenient. Like I live in a place where I can pretty reliably and safely receive packages. And, and, uh, you know, from previous experience, those things get delivered like efficiently and early. So if you're just interested in getting the product fast, I would probably ship at home. Um, but as a observer of the products, it's fun for me to be in the store on launch day and see how people are interacting with the products and see how much buzz there is and, and all those sort of things. So I will book an appointment to pick mine up in a store. Um, and that being said, I will say, like, I think the days of these super long lines and constrained um, inventories for new Apple products are probably behind us, at least certainly for the phones. And so I'm actually not expecting um, that there's going to be crazy demand, uh, unfulfilled demand and, and long back, back orders for these, these phones this year. But we'll, we'll see if I'm right tomorrow morning. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that uh, Apple is no longer going to announce how many they sold on day one, or they, they always did like a little bit of a thing. And the, the reason they gave is that it's more uh, an indication of supply than demand. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means they're not going to have much supply this year or I don't know. Yeah. But. Call me cynical, but don't the, like you would, one would argue. So since we're so much better at supply now, we should just be doing much better at that stat. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. I think a much more obvious answer is like, as we know, like their shipments have slowed down for the first time ever. Um, and that, yeah. you know, they are struggling, like, you know, there is saturation on these devices and they're struggling to get users to upgrade to every new device that this particular form factor is now, you know, moving into its third year, which is, a longer cycle than they've normally done. So there, there are a lot of pundits that are, you know, concerned that this is not going to be the huge economic boost to Apple that previous uh, iterations have been. And so like, what a shock. They suddenly want to change the, their reporting metrics and not, not report the metric that would, would demonstrate that loss of traction. Another overhang is I think the general consensus from uh, all the folks that really watch the supply chain and whatnot is that next year is going to be the big, big change of the form factor. And, you know, you've heard things like glass on the front and back, edge to edge screen uh, as kind of a next year is the 10 year anniversary of the iPhone. So uh, I think it logically I, I buy into that because it does make sense that, you know, and um, you would imagine the volumes in the countries they launch in, they already have to be kind of iterating towards that. So, so the supply chain would have seen some of the samples and that kind of thing. So um, a lot of people I've talked to have said they're going to wait till next year because they've already kind of picked up on, I guess it's been in like the consumer press and stuff that that's kind of what's going to happen. So I know that probably frustrates the heck out of Apple, but I, I think they've got a lot of people that are going to wait on the, you know, whatever it's going to be called, let's call it the eight um, because of the, the, you know, the major redesign. Yep, I think that that's very possible. Self-inflicted wound. Cool. Well, it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott news show if we didn't cover some Amazon news. Um, one of the big things that's happened over the last week is Amazon announced uh, what they call brand gating. So what they're doing is if you want to go to Amazon and sell a, a kind of list of restricted brands and the usual suspects, things like an apparel like Nike, Under Armour, North Face, um, those kinds of things. And then uh, in jewelry, there's a whole list. And, um, you know, so, so 
I would call it things that are commonly counterfeited seems to be kind of the, the right list there. Uh, then they're going to charge you a fee and it's ranging anywhere from 1200 up to 2000 $2,500 per brand um, to, to really be able to carry that brand on Amazon. Uh, this initially freaked everyone out because everyone thought, okay, uh, you know, we have customers that sell 80 different brands on Amazon and that, you know, that starts, to, that, that could be like 160 K right there. Um, so there is kind of a, you know, a going forward approach to this. There's like, I don't want to call it amnesty, but you know, they're, they're exempting people that are already on the site selling these things. So this is really just kind of for new, if you're a seller and you want to add a brand or if you're a new seller, it's for those folks. Um, uh, I know I, I have my own thinking on why they're doing that. I would love to hear yours before I, I kind of taint your, your thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, my superficial assumptions, uh, like th- this is a, a, a overt action to sort of combat the, the counterfeit products and the erosion in trust on the part of Amazon consumers. And I, I'm assuming, um, you know, that, that this is a welcome news to brand owners that have struggled not just with counterfeit products, but with, with third party, uh, sellers like hijacking their listings and corrupting their, their product detail pages and things like that. And so, uh, the, the assumption is it's great for those brands and gives them a little more protection. Uh, but it probably has the either, uh, intended or unintended consequence of putting a lot of the, sort of retail arbitragers out of business, right? Like, because it's going to make it really impractical to, you know, find a particularly good deal on a, on a allotment of, of uh, North Face jackets or, you know, Sonicare toothbrushes, and then, you know, just pop onto Amazon and sell them when you have to uh, pay a registration fee and go through a process before you're allowed to sell the Sonicare brand. Yeah, there was a, there's an article, um, I think it was Bloomberg where they did some sample orders from Amazon and they found like 30% of the third party stuff they ordered came in a Walmart or a big lots or a dollar store of some kind, kind of a, uh, a box. <laughs> so that, that's people effectively kind of a lot of it's geo arbitraging. So they'll be near a outlet of some kind or one of these stores that has deep discounts and they'll, they'll, they'll kind of literally go through the store and look at the product and look on Amazon and they'll find these little kind of demand supply imbalances and they will go and buy, you know, everything in their local store, sell it on Amazon and make, you know, two bucks a, a unit and, and kind of do that at volume. So, so to your point, I think that's going to be a tougher game with, with this. And, you know, the way we've, we've seen these things happen at different places before these lists start out with X on there and, and X generally doesn't get smaller. So, you know, if I'm a brand, one of the first caught things I'm going to do is say, A, am I on your list? And then B, how do I get on it? And, and I very much want to get on it. Um, I had several reporters say they heard brands are also having to pay to be on the list. So it's almost like Amazon double dipping. I, I don't know uh, if that's true or not, but I thought that was another, I hadn't really initially thought of it. Um, so I, you know, I think you know, what they're saying is that Amazon says, sure, Mr. Brand, we would be happy to implement this, but it's going to cost you. And I imagine it's much higher than $2,000. So uh, kind of an interesting place where you can charge both sides of the ecosystem for something. Yeah. There, I wonder if there could be some intellectual property disputes there. That would be interesting. Yeah. Now, now to their credit, what, you know, Amazon, um, 
and I get this question from reporters and they are, they tend to be disappointed because um, they always say, you know, how big is the counterfeit problem? And, and it's as best we can tell, Amazon is just relentless on this. You know, they, they put customer experience very high and um, they, they really, they care more about that than what brands think, I think. And, um, you know, they really don't want consumers to feel like there's anything counterfeit on Amazon. So Amazon goes to these great lengths. They, they're going to want to see your, your receipts. Um, and a lot of people don't feel comfortable about this and, and, um, they're going to want to know the effectively how you source this product. Is it really valid? How do you know it's valid? And then they'll even, they do a fair amount of ordering of things from third party sellers across this list of things that are frequently counterfeited and they test them. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how they do that. Uh, I'm not an expert on this, but I think, you know, with most of these knockoffs, there's ways to kind of figure out if they're real or not. And, you know, obviously in like electronics, it's easy with serial numbers, but as you get into things like purses and apparel, it gets a little bit harder, but, um, even, um, a big one that we see a lot of is jewelry, where if you make a claim about jewelry and I'm not an expert on this, but if you say 14 carat plated, or, you know, there's all these things about what that means. Uh, and they'll actually do metallurgical tests on your jewelry. They'll actually order it and test it. And if it doesn't satisfy what you are claiming it is, then they will suspend you. Um, the number one call we get at Channel Advisor is people that have been suspended on Amazon thinking we have some magic wand to get them unsuspended. Uh, and so, you know, they are very, very aggressive and, and it is a literally, you know, pretty much one strike you're out kind of a policy around any of these kinds of things that are counterfeiting or misrepresenting your product and its qualities to the consumer. Yep. Um, and I, I would point out just, there's one uh, interesting nuance. Counterfeit often means something different to the marketplace than it does to the brand, right? Like, so I totally believe Amazon is very focused on customer experience. They don't want customers to get fraudulent products. And I, I absolutely believe like Amazon has no interest in making money on anyone selling fraudulent stuff. Um, so Amazon wants to make sure that when you buy a Sony TV, you get the real Sony TV. Uh, Sony's definition of counterfeit is that it was a Sony T uh, it's an authentic Sony TV being sold by an authorized re- reseller. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, Amazon does not agree with that, right? Exactly. If Jason decides to go up to Best Buy and buy a thousand Sony TVs, he should be allowed to sell them on Amazon, even though he's not an authorized reseller. It's kind of their argument. Exactly. And so some of these like disputes are, you know, fall in that, that space. And there are like, I, I work with a number of brands where the, the value of the brand it, it has huge geographic disparities. So like a pair of jeans that sell for $30 at Walmart in the U S sell for $300 in Japan or, you know, cookware that's $8 value based here is $30 luxury based in Europe. And, you know, in the old world, they, those brands could totally get away with that, right? Like, because there, there wasn't much overlap in shoppers and there was no way, you know, people weren't going to Europe buying a bunch of dishes and bringing them to the U S to, to sell them. Um, but, you know, uh, through, through these highly efficient marketplaces, the, the arbitragers really punish the brands when they try to get away with these like dual value systems. Yeah. And, and it has created a lot of friction between Amazon and the brands. If, if there's one, you know, area where Amazon continues to struggle, it's this kind of relationship with the brand and, and how do you manage that? So, um, a lot of this comes out in pricing where, um, you know, Amazon wants to have lowest prices. They've, it's been part of their whole DNA since 
you know, Jeff Bezos wrote his famous shareholder letter in 1997, which sidebar, I think if everyone that listens to the show, you should definitely read that letter. It's, it's pretty amazing to go reflect on that, um, you know, 20 years ago that, that he had just totally nailed everything. Um, anyway, uh, so, so what happens is the brands have map pricing. So minimum advertised pricing. So someone like, you know, I'll pick on, uh, Dyson's or something. Cause it's one of those ones that you see priced the same everywhere. So Dyson's will say, this vacuum cleaner is going to be $2.99 and you can't advertise it for lower. Then what will happen is um, uh, Amazon will find that price lower at, let's say Target runs a special and they'll say, well, we're giving a $30 Target card with a purchase of a $2.99 vacuum cleaner. Well, everyone knows that's effectively $2.69. So what Amazon will do is they'll say, okay, we're, we, we will do map, but we found someone lower. So if you're going to allow them to do lower, we're going to do lower. So then suddenly it's 269 on Amazon. Um, and brands hate this because it becomes this race to the bottom. But you can see both sides of that argument. And so many brands have you know, left Amazon. So the shoe guys, so primarily uh, Nike is big and then um, uh, Adidas have decided they won't really work with Amazon very closely over this. Um, and there's this, this huge friction and, you know, that, that kind of starts to eat away at the Amazon value prop, because if they don't have, you know, three or four of the top brands in every category, then it really starts, you can see it eroding at the, at the, the whole value prop of the world's largest selection and best prices. So there's this really interesting friction there. And it's really one of the only weak points that I ever see in Amazon, um, you know, Kind of is their their relationship with their brands is not stellar and it's this kind of constant you know how do you how do they constantly improve that and uh and make it better and i, I feel like this is definitely a, a really big fig leaf to the brands that that we haven't seen before so you know i think amazon's smart enough to realize that this this is a challenging position that they are in themselves with their brand partners and how do they how do they kind of walk that line yeah absolutely The other Amazon thing I was excited about, uh, just a couple of quick ones. The, um, some folks, so in the UK, their, their regulatory body, I forget what it is. Um, it's kind of like the equivalent of the FAA has approved Amazon doing some drone flying in, in some certain areas. Uh, so within those areas, people are starting to get pictures of, of Amazon experimenting with drone deliveries. And there's, there's some cool photos of that. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, one thing I'm hearing from a lot of channel advisor customers is, that Amazon is really continuing to uh, kind of what I would call slow roll FBA. So they'll say, hey, Amazon, um, I need to send you eight pallets of stuff. Uh, Amazon now has this filter that says, okay, um, that's great, but we only send us six pallets because these two pallets of items, these, these items we already have in FBA, and we just really don't want them. So that's number one. So there's this new kind of gating process. And then number two, when you go ahead and send your six of the eight pallets that Amazon approves, it's taking a very, very long time for them to kind of show up in the system. So it just feels like, you know, FBA is so popular right now and, and they're so full on the fulfillment centers that, that these things they've done around the economics, the filtering based on the SKUs and the quantities already in FBA. And then they, you know, they've announced 19 new fulfillment centers. Um, none of those are online yet. They'll, they'll probably just kind of make it on maybe 12 or 13 of them from holiday. Uh, you know, it just seems like the system's getting a bit gummed up, which which I thought listeners would find interesting. Yeah, no, it's uh, it clearly seems like they have a constrained quantity there, and so they're trying to to maximize it. And if you you hang out on the 
the like any of the Amazon seller forums, like they're you know it's causing a huge ripple effect through the whole ecosystem. Is is you know people are desperate to get their their product showing up faster and yeah, and uh, these there there are these um, you know, there's probably thirty or forty of these folks that are like really big ar- ar- arbitrage guys. Um, and, you know, when I say really big, they're like over $40 million in sales. Um, and, you know, so, so these guys have built these businesses where they're usually ex wall street traders and there's usually two or three people in the company and then everything else is through FBA. So they literally are out there buying things. It never touches their own warehouse. It goes straight into FBA and then they sell it and, and they're kind of on to the next thing. Um, this FBA being full is, is really, really hurting those guys. And, and you know, uh, and that combines the brand thing. It's kind of interesting to figure out is, will this arbitrage opportunity last at that scale for very long? Yep, yep. And I, I, ju- I would just remind people, it's a first world problem. They're full, but they, they have way more capacity than anyone else on the planet. And they're full, right? Like, so... <laughs> Yeah, this is like 150 fulfillment centers and versus Walmart seven. So it's, exactly. it's definitely a high class problem. Exactly. Uh, a small one I saw this week is uh, the dash buttons launched in Europe, um, and they immediately got a little tripped up. Um, so a lot of the EU have these really strict uh, labeling laws that say, like, here's the information you have to give someone um, when they purchase a product, and it, you know. It, you have to give them this pricing information and this this product information, and it's actually not a legal contract if you don't provide that information. And so, a bunch of the 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 regulators in Europe have said that hey, pushing this button on Dash without seeing any of that product information is not a legal transaction. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um- a couple other quick ones, because uh, we definitely want to save a little time for a shop.org preview. Uh, Amazon Basics, they're really ramping that up. And there's actually a store now. So you can actually go and see kind of this nice aggregation of all the different Amazon Basics. And uh, you know, I, I recommend people sit down before they look at that, because a lot of people think it's HDMI cables. But <laughs> you're, you're going to be surprised when you see that. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, there was an art, Amazon... Um, article in Bloomberg where they really went through this whole, um, you know, will Amazon compete with uh, FedEx and UPS? They talked about the prime airplane. Um, that's definitely a must read for, for listeners. We'll put that in the show notes. Nothing really terrible new that we haven't covered on the show. Um, it was just kind of interesting to see the, you know, uh, the more mainstream business press were really picking up on this. Um, if anything, the best part was the cover, which had kind of Jeff Bezos with an Amazon box wrapped around him with his arms out flying around, which is kind of <laughs> laughing <laughs> maniacally, which I thought was relatively entertaining. I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, Mr. Bezos really enjoyed that. Um, another one kind of in this logistics wheelhouse, uh, Amazon is really, there's this huge demand for these, um, you know, they call them, uh, light, this is a name for it, uh, light and fast or something like that. So these, these light kind of relatively inexpensive products that come from China, uh, and Amazon is really kind of working on implementing the supply chain there. Uh, you may have heard the term dragon boat, but they're really trying to figure out how do they get these Chinese suppliers products onto the site faster into FBA and sold to consumers. Um, so there's a whole program around that. We'll put an article to uh, a, a link to another article that kind of walks through some of the stats on that one. Any other Amazon news you wanted to hit? Uh, I guess the one I would hit real briefly is 
there continues to be brands uh, that are exclusive brands that are only that only sell direct that are now um, sort of announcing that they're going to sell through Amazon. So the latest one is Lands In, which is uh, I think still owned by Sears. I know Sears was trying to sell them. I can't remember if they they successfully did that or not. Um, but they're they've recently moved to Amazon. Um, Earlier, we've heard uh, a Gap talk about potentially selling on Amazon, and I just find that interesting because usually when you you talk to retailers and brands, they say, "Hey, the best defense from Amazon is to have a exclusive brand that Amazon isn't allowed to sell, and so you have differentiated product." But now we're we're starting to see a bunch of these uh, brands that are you know in distress sales situations that are sort of caving and giving up that advantage in exchange to get access to the the huge market that is Amazon. Um, and in uh, one of the articles, I, I saw a great quote, um, Amazon is becoming the new A-plus mall. So, you know, if you're the Gap and you were, you were in a good mall and the Macy's is closing in that mall, um, you know, that's not going to be a good Gap store anymore. Um, and, you know, a- Amazon is the, the new alternative to, to recapture that, that traffic for those guys. Yeah, that's uh, as one of the guys that started Chamas, or that's music to my ears. So that that was our theory 15 years ago, and uh, dang it, we were right. Just you know, took 15 years to get there. Yeah, and congratulations on your resilience to still be here. <laughs> yeah, some would call it resilience, some would call it something else, but there you go. Um, so we're by the time this podcast is out, we'll be about two weeks away from Shop.org. So we wanted to give listeners plenty of time to kind of prepare your schedules to make sure you don't miss a second of the Jason and Scott activities. So they're essentially in four buckets. Uh, So number one, Jason, my esteemed co-host is going to be hosting some keynotes. He'll tell us about that in a second. So that's exciting. Then we're going to be doing live news summary podcasts from the show floor. We have those Tuesday and Wednesday. Then we have a bunch of interviews we're going to be doing from the show floor. We'll go through those in a second. And then finally, we have a session where uh, in one of the breakouts, we'll be doing a uh, a talk uh, around three of our most popular topics here from the podcast based on the, the comments and feedback and spins that you guys have, uh, have kind of generated. Uh, so, Jason, tell us about the keynotes you'll be working on. Yeah, so there's some great keynotes at Shop.org this year, and uh, I'm going to get a chance to – uh, introduce some of the the speakers and do some Q and A with them. Um, uh, uh, one of the ones I'm excited about is uh, a very popular comedian and podcaster. Mark Marin is going to be interviewing a famous futurist, Doctor uh, Mikio Kaku, um, and uh, you know he he's uh, uh, I've heard him speak and I've read his book. Um, you know, he's he's likely to describe a future that's going to blow some people away. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be uh, interesting interaction with with uh, Mark to talk about what the future looks like and what we might need to prepare ourselves for. Like the you know, normally the way these things go is we're we're working really hard to pair, prepare for these like sort of linear um, changes that are going to happen next year when in reality we're only a few years away from from all those things being totally irrelevant as the world is going to completely change. So um, I think that's always an interesting thought experiment and I'll, I'll be interested uh, to hear that session myself. Uh, we're going to talk to Mike Amon from JCPenney's. We're in 
uh, Dallas, which is uh, J.C. Penney's home, um, they're they're having a nice little recovery, which is somewhat against um, a lot of the the retail pundits. So it'll be interesting to hear what what they're working on and where they see their future going. Um, and then uh, uh, we'll be talking to Reshma uh, Sanjay, who is the founder of a cool organization called Girls Who Code. And she's going to be talking about um, how we can solve some of the, the gender inequality in our industry and in the technology industry and get more, more talented people working on the big technology problems we face. And then the last keynote... Um, I'm very excited about, and my in-laws, who are all Detroit natives, are even more excited about. Um, I'm going to be talking to uh, the founder of Shinola, um, which is a super, uh, you know, interesting uh, resurgent brand that sort of relaunched and uh, selling uh, uh, bicycles and watches and a bunch of other cool products that are, you know, sort of all tied to this. Uh, this Detroit brand, and so it's going to be interesting to to hear his story. Cool. Would you would you put them in the digital native vertical brand category? Or I didn't realize it was a resurgent. I, th- I always thought it was like a direct to consumer thing. Yep. So well, so I think the brand's been around for a long time. I think I mean the you know they were originally like uh, products for uh, leather um, uh, maintenance and like like shoe polishes and I I mean I uh, best wow. best known in pop culture for a, a line in a a movie where you know a character said you couldn't tell shit from Shinola, um, which you know is not not very premium luxury branding um, and so I I think the brand probably changed hands and uh, 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 this gentleman Tom came in and said hey. Um, People are really looking for authentic products and they're really looking for products that have a great origin story. And we're going to start making not just leather care products, but some some real luxury leather goods. And we're going to, you know, make these products in in Detroit, which is kind of a a city that's, you know, trying to to reinvent itself and, you know, come come back from, you know, a pretty eroded brand of its own. Um, And they've had a nice success. So so they are a vertically integrated brand. Um, in that they, they make their own products and sell them direct. Um, the, I would hesitate to call them a vertically integrated digitally native brand in that, like, technically the brand's probably 60 years old and was not digitally native. Cool. Good to know. The, uh, I don't think you should use that line when you introduce them just as a pro tip for you on that, buddy. I, I appreciate it. I could use all the, the tips I can get, but I have a feeling they've sort of embraced that heritage. Okay, cool. Maybe they'll mention it. We'll find out. I'll let him bring it up, though. Cool. In addition to Jason doing the keynotes Tuesday, and that's going to be kind of in the morning between 9 and 12, uh, Tuesday at 2 and then Wednesday at 10.30, we'll be doing some live summaries from the show. And in there, we'll be doing the Jason and Scott show. We are in the NF, um, NRF Clubhouse, which is in the exhibit hall. And in there, we have a live podcast booth. So you can come and listen to the show live. Uh, and then we'll be publishing those podcasts as soon as our audio engineer and team can get those out. Um, but if you want to hear them live, again, that's Tuesday at 2 and Wednesday at 1030. And then we have a bunch of awesome interviews. You want to walk us through those, Jason? Yeah. Uh, so we have a number booked. Uh, I'll highlight just a few of them. Uh, Tuesday morning from noon to one, um, we'll be talking with Brad Brown, who, uh, is the SVP of 
digital and e-commerce at REI. And uh, REI is uh, really a best practitioner in a bunch of different areas. So it'll be interesting uh, to talk to, to him. Um, Wednesday morning at nine, we'll be talking to Rob Smoltz, who runs uh, Talbots.com. Um, and so it'd be interesting to uh, hear what, what they're doing. But Rob also ha- is, is another one of these guys that has a long sorted uh, history in the e-commerce industry and worked for a long time at uh, GSI, even before they were acquired by eBay. So, you know, uh, if you've ever had a bad experience shopping on a 10-year-old uh, GSI website, um, Toys R Us comes to mind, uh, you you could probably have Rob to blame for that. So we'll, we'll hold him accountable for that. Um, and then Wednesday at 945... Uh, we'll be talking with some of our friends from Facebook and obviously they, they have a lot of stuff going on that affects commerce and it'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a chat with them about where they're going. Yeah. And then, um, Tuesday at three 30 is our breakout session. And that is, you have to check the show guide. I forget where it is, but there's three breakout rooms and you should clearly go to ours. Even if you have a whole team, your whole team should come to ours because it's going to be fun, interactive, uh, and kind of different than anything we've ever done before. Uh, just briefly, what we're going to do is talk about some of the most popular podcast topics. And we're going to, um, it's going to be more of like a Jason versus Scott kind of thing. So we're each going to take a different position and argue that position. We may not 100% agree on it, but uh, there's probably a sliver in truth in some of these. So, so uh, the to start out, we're going to go over some of the changing consumer behaviors we talk about a lot. Cause I think it's foundationally important to kind of understand that before you jump into all these other things. But then the three things we want to talk about, it wouldn't be Jason Scott without Amazon. So we're going to talk about that and then mobile and then brands going direct. And on Amazon, Jason, you jump in uh, and tell folks what your position is going to be. Yeah. Um, well, I know you are the world's largest Amazon fanboy. Um, and you know, uh, fair enough that there's there's some evidence to support your position, um, but I really uh, think that while well, Amazon's going to be a huge and important player for years to come in the industry, like there's lots of room for other retail models and other businesses to compete and succeed. And so uh, I'm I'm going to be talking about uh, why and how uh, you can exist and thrive in a, a, a world uh, competing with Amazon. Okay. And then on mobile, which is one that's near and dear to your heart. And I know your position on that is retailers are figuring it out. They've, the conversion rate has soared amazingly from 0.8 to 0.81%. I'll give give you from 0.8 to 1%. It's been amazing versus desktop at three. And eventually we'll, we'll kind of get there. Uh, I disagree with that. I think, I think, uh, mobile is going to be really hard and, and it's not going to get solved. And, and I'll kind of walk through my theory of why. Um, and then on brands, you go ahead and state your case on that one. Yeah. So like the big, big topic on brands is like, you know, our brands and retailers are going to merge or all the brands going to sell direct. Um, and, uh, you know, will they all be indistinguishable from each other? Um, and uh, I, uh, my, like, I, I think, we're, we're going to talk about some slightly nuanced differences in what the future looks like for brands um, and, and retailers. Um, but I actually think that some of the changes in consumer behavior and some of the ways that we're changing our buying patterns 
and the fact that the intelligent agents and and all of our software systems um, and uh, Internet of Things devices are starting to place a lot of orders for us. And a lot of things that we used to explicitly have to buy are now getting purchased implicitly. I actually think that's going to create an exciting opportunities for brands to start selling a larger percentage of their goods direct to consumer. Cool. And, and I, I kind of semi-agree with you. So I, I think I think where we agree, our common ground is there is this trend of brands going direct. And I, I think it makes sense for a lot of brands. But where it starts to break down for me is there, there's value to going to, you know, just to pick a category, the, the home improvement store and seeing eight kinds of hammers there all together on the aisle and, and being able to compare that and um, or going to Amazon and having the same virtual experience. When, when I have to go to you know, uh, stanley.com and, you know, tool company number DeWalt. And you can tell I'm not a big home improvement person. Uh, you know, then, uh, then you're kind of like, well, you know, where does the convenience go of this? I, I, I agree that, that it's, you know, helpful. So, so I, I think that it has, it's definitely a trend, but I, it, you know, at some point it's going to hit a ceiling and, and we'll talk about why I think that. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and Scott, like, uh, it'll come as no surprise every time we have a Star Wars segment on the show, uh, we go slightly over. So we have certainly uh, used an hour and uh, seven minutes of our listeners' time. Can you help us wrap up? Yeah, and just a quick wrap up. Just want to remind everyone that uh, we are sponsored uh, up until Summit by the NRF, the National Retail Federation. Uh, we're going to be live podcasting. We're really excited to see everyone. It's in Dallas, September 26th to 28th. If you haven't registered, shame on you, but there is time. Use the code Jason and Scott. That's Jason ampersand Scott, S-C-O-T, and you'll get the 10% discount. We will have a link in the show notes for you to skip right over there and do that um, after you listen to the podcast. And uh, with that, we'll wish everyone happy commercing. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave a review. 